Free speech is a center block of our society. There's a reason it's the first, a reason it's the most important, because if you remove it, the rest is bound to topple. First, they take your words, then they take your privacy. Finally, they take your movement, and we're nothing but slaves beholden to the elite oligarchy. And you can feel it, the walls closing in. That's why you're here, to join a movement to fight back, to feel free again, to provide a better life for your future generations. The war isn't a physical war. It's a war of ideology, of information, of freedom of expression. It's a war against the establishment and the propagandist mouthpieces that keep us misinformed, docile, and compliant. It's a spiritual war of good versus evil, of freedom versus control. Watch more Netflix, eat more bugs, fall in love in virtual reality. I don't know everything. In fact, I don't know anything. But I do know how to question, to take in information and come up with my own conclusions. President Donald Trump, show me the establishment exists. And Tucker Carlson, show me how I can fight back. And that's why today's guest has been an inspiration to me. The voice of the people, not just here domestically in the U.S., but the voice of reason and truth all over the world. Because people all over the world understand if the U.S. falls, the whole thing falls apart. When I started to put my ideas out into the world 11 months ago, never did I think people would actually listen. I'm just another guy with a camera and a mic sitting in the corner of Georgia, frustrated by the direction of our country, deeply concerned about the dangerous evolution of our society. And I just couldn't hold it in any longer. And never in my wildest dreams did I think that me, one of you, would be sitting down and having a conversation with the person that encouraged us to challenge the narrative, to defy groupthink and embrace freethink. I'm grateful that Tucker can be with us today to share some insight because although he knows it or not, he's a general in this movement. Movement to question the narrative and create our own realities, retain control, our way of life. So without further ado, let's bring in Tucker. Tucker. Hey, Matt. Oh, Thank it's so amazing me. for uh, being out here. I mean, I appreciate you. Well, I appreciate you. I, I'd never heard of your podcast until a few months ago when one of my smartest friends started sending me episodes of it. And I was really struck by it by, of course, I agreed with you on, you know, on the issues. But I just, I, the sincerity and your totally unadorned delivery, no demagoguery at all, just directly what you clearly really believed. I just thought it was wonderful. Um, so I, re I was like, I want to I wanna meet this guy. Um, so anyway, this is a great pleasure for me too. Thank you. Well, I'm definitely going to clip that. And that's going to be my intro to every video I ever do now <laughs> for the rest of my life. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> and you've been busy. You've been doing your, you've been doing public speaking. You've been doing a lot of interviews, a lot of podcasts. And if I were to say, if I were going to design a campaign for you, to become vice president of the country. This is exactly how I would design your campaign to do exactly what you're doing now. <laughs> well, I will say in, uh, in my defense against that vicious accusation <laughs> that, um, that I, I am like the worst at political calculation um, you could be. I mean, obviously I keep getting fired, so I'm not very good at politics at all. And really, I, I love giving speeches. I have been giving a lot of speeches, mostly because a speech helps me think through what I believe. I don't ever write anything down ever for a speech, but I kind of brood about it. And then as you start speaking, it's an amazing experience. I'd recommend to everybody. Um, the ideas kind of form 
as you articulate things. Other things occur to you. It's like, it's so it's a live, in my experience, a live speech is not just a matter of you delivering information to the audience. It's a process of learning for you, the speaker. And I need that because there's so much going on. I cannot spend my life, you know, just behind my phone looking at, you know, social media or whatever. Um, I need, I need that experience. And I also want to meet people and I, and I live, you know, in a pretty remote way. So, you know, I don't live around crowds of people, that's for sure. So it's, it's all very nice. I've loved it actually. I think there's a lot of people watching and listening right now going, we would love Tucker as a VP. We would love to be a part of it. And for the most selfish reason, if I could say that the number one thing I want to see as a Tucker VP campaign is a Tucker Carlson versus Kamala Harris debate. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would break all records. The most watched vice president debate in the history of the world to never be beaten again because everyone wants to see that. Well, I, I it's so funny. I mean, of course, I would love that. Um, <laughs> but you sort of wonder how it would play out. I We play a game called backgammon in my house. I've always played backgammon and I have one of my four children. Well, they all play and they're all good. But one of them, when she was little, didn't really know how to play backgammon and she would always beat me. Not always, but often beat me. And I played my whole life. And how is she beating me? Because she created chaos on the board. She would do things you weren't supposed to do and it would throw me off completely. It was so crazy because she was, you know, seven years old that she would win. And you sort of wonder if that would be the experience of going up against Kamala Harris. I mean, if it's a debate about, you know, the issues or whatever, I'm pretty confident, you know, you could, you could prevail because she has nothing really to say because she has no successes and no achievement over the course of her life. But she's so sort of detached from reality that she, she might crush me, actually, because I'm pretty literal. Do, do you know what I mean? It's like, I mean, she's going to just spray hard. words out into the world, and then you got to kind of figure out in real time, what is she saying? And then all of a sudden it's like, well, yes. Tucker didn't respond properly. <laughs> I didn't know what she was saying. Right. <laughs> no, it's totally true. And if there's something, I mean, the, the ideal debate is between, you know, you know, you and someone you disagree with sincerely, but who's smart, who can articulate it. And, you know, even in those debates occasionally, back when those existed, they don't exist anymore, but I did it for, you know, decades, you would have your own mind change. You're like, actually, it's a pretty good point. You know, on this one thing, I changed my mind. That's happened to me. But with Kamala Harris, it's like totally postmodern. It's like a Jackson Pollock painting. They're just like splashes of color and like, what do they add up to? I don't know. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I, I recently put up a video before, leading up into this conversation, and I asked kind of the community, if you could ask Tucker Carlson anything, what would you ask? And I thought it would be questions about maybe the economy or the direction of the country or maybe even UFOs, because you had touched that in kind of a topic that people are thinking about. Maybe it was about the wars and all these things, all these pending issues that we're told we care about, the border, World War Three, New World Order. Yeah, big and, issue. And all of these questions that I got, I thought this would be kind of what people are thinking about. Do you know what the most important question that I got over 3,000 comments, DMs, messages text messages saying ask him this do you know what that mo question was no what can we do to help and i was shocked by that because for sure i thought people would want to know what can we do i mean about issues that we talk about people right. don't care about the issues we talk about people want to get involved people are looking yes we we accuse americans for being selfish 
But when times are tough and they see destruction happening in real time, people are selfless. Yeah. And that yeah. was the most, I mean, over 50% of the comments was, ask Tucker, what can we do? What can we do at the grassroots? How do we get involved? I, I, I've been thinking so deeply about that because I feel the same way. And people are always like, oh, you do so much. I, I haven't done anything. You know, I've just sort of sat in my barn and talked into a camera. Um, but I, so I feel the same frustration. Like, what can you do? And, I, I, and I'm not, you know, giving a theology lesson here or anything like that. But I would recommend to everybody the book of Proverbs, which is, like, I don't think, really read apart from, you know, really religious people reading it. You, don't, you certainly don't need to be a religious person to read Proverbs. It's, you know, in the Hebrew Bible in the Old Testament, as Christians say, and it's just a remarkable series of aphorisms, almost like bumper stickers of, tr of true things from, you know, traditionally believed from Solomon, you know, the wisest king in history. And, but one of them is, I've never kind of gotten it out of my mind, and I'm paraphrasing, I'll probably get it wrong, but it, right around Psalm 20 in that area, it says, uh, effectively, the tongue, your words, hold the power of life and death. And, and I really believe that. I think words are the most important thing. Of course, I use words for a living, so I have an interest in saying that, but I think it's objectively true. When you tell the truth out loud, everything changes. You change. You become a lot stronger. People can feel the strength emanating from you, but it also changes things. You change other people's minds. You become a force when you decide to tell the truth, really the truth. You know, and, and also about yourself and in your personal life, just be an honest person, that kind of honesty. If you see something, if you're at work, and they're like, well, we're going to, and they'll dress it up as DEI or affirmative action or diversity or sensitivity or whatever. They have all these euphemisms for racism. But if you just say, you know, I'm, I'm totally opposed to that. And this needs to be a colorblind meritocracy or it won't exist anymore in this country. Saying that at work um, is enough to kind of cause an explosion. The number one, and you, you alluded to this in your intro, the number one thing that the right that we need to preserve is the right of free speech. The number one right they would like to take from us before our guns, which is telling. They're more afraid of our words than our guns, and they have right to be, reason to be. Um, they wanna make you be quiet. And so not being quiet, and by the way, I don't think it's a license to be nasty or rude. You don't need to be. The most effective moral leaders in history were not nasty or rude, they didn't shout. They just spoke the plain unadorned truth. They spoke it clearly and they spoke it without fear. And I think if people do that at scale, um, whatever their party affiliation, no matter who they voted for, like, no, this is wrong. And no, I'm, I'm not going to go along with it. If they've done that during COVID, no, you can't force people to take a drug they don't want. Our body, our choice, like there's some truth in that. We have bodily autonomy or else we're slaves, of course. You, you can brand a slave. You can kill a slave. You can do whatever you want to a slave. You can't do that to a, a, someone who you consider fully human, who's a citizen. And we just have to act like we're fully human and we're citizens. We're free men. And if you act like that, you become it. That is true. It's true for everything, by the way. What is it? Fake it till you make it? Is that the phrase that people use? Like if you if you want to become something, act like you are that thing and you will grow into it. And so let's start by acting like we're free, like actually free. Say what you think, not to offend people for its own sake. I don't think that's a virtue, but just to be honest all the time. And if you act that way, wow. I mean, everything changes. You change. Your relationships with other people change. I think they get stronger. And you inspire the people around you to do it. That's what you can do. And, and everyone's like, oh, we need to get this guy elected or that guy elected. Yeah, it's important. Government power is really important. But ultimately, government power reflects, you know, bigger forces, in my opinion, over time anyway. 
And so change the consensus in the country one person at a time by acting like you're free without embarrassment, without shame. That works. But there's a huge community of people that tried to speak out, especially during the COVID time. And they started blocking people. They started removing people, canceling people's accounts. And for a lot of people, a lot of normal people, their social media is their voice. And to lose that yeah. for speaking out, that was really tough. And now we're in a place where people are so scared to lose their accounts that we self-censor. And I think that's the scariest oh, part of, of all of it, the self-censorship. So how do well, you fight through point. that? I mean, this is obviously an extremely efficient police state that we have allowed to rise up around us. Extremely efficient, more efficient than anything the East Germans ever tried. Um, and, and that's terrifying and it's bad. But it's not enough to subdue a population. You can't actually subdue 350 million people. It's just not possible. You have to convince them to subdue themselves. And that's exactly what they're doing. You know, it's what there's a famous French phrase from the Algerian war. It, it, it translated it's for the encouragement of the others. So, you, you know, you've got a bunch of prisoners and you want them to give you information. You bring them up in a helicopter and you just push the first guy right out the door and he dies. And the other ones are very encouraged to, to tell what they know. And, um, and that's kind of what they always do. You know, they take some high profile person and they crush him and everyone else gets the message, which is just shut up or be crushed. And I, I would disagree with you on one material point, which is I don't think that a lot of people stood up during COVID. I was hmm. really embarrassed as an American to see the cowardice on display, the complacency on it. But really, let's just call it what it is, it's cowardice. It's shameful cowardice. And a lot of people I know, and in some cases love, were cowards. And I, I was probably a coward. You know, I should have said, I mean, I did a lot on COVID. I tried to be as honest as I could. But one thing I did not do was say that I'm, I didn't personally get the vax. And I should have done that. And my rationale was, well, it's a private decision. I'm not talking about my sex life. I'm not asking you about yours. I'm not going to ask or reveal private medical decisions. That was my position. But that's kind of fake, actually. There was a crisis going on. I had a position of, of visibility. And I should have said, you know, Take the vax if you want. I'm not taking it because I'm really, really concerned about it. It's not tested. It can't have been tested. There's no longitudinal test that could have happened. And we don't have all the data. And it's a new technology that's never been tried at scale. Other coronavirus vaccines did not work. They were recalled because they hurt people. And this is also a gene technology, which seems a little bit spooky. I don't really understand it, but I'm not into it. And I don't want it on my body. All of that is true. None of that should be controversial. I should have said that day one. And I'm not telling you not to take it, but I am telling you, you don't have to take it if you don't want to. And I didn't say that. I, or I didn't connect it to myself and my own decision. And I think it, and I really regret that. And I think it would have helped if I had done that. Um, so whatever, do things like that. Just be honest. And like, yeah, maybe you get fired as someone who's been fired a lot, including when I didn't have enough money and too many children, which was obviously distressing and a hassle and scary, but you know, it's kind of fine in the end, actually. And you, you retain your self-respect and maybe more important, the respect of your wife and children, which is essential, absolutely essential for family happiness. They have, you know, you've got to respect dad or it doesn't work. And um, so behave in a way that inspires respect. And telling the truth is the number one way to do it, I think. Because we live in a time right now where there is, I love the tagline, corporate media is dead. And we've seen yeah. the videos of the TCN truck sitting in front of the New York Times at NBC and um, CNN. I, whoever did that, 
genius. That's amazing because those pictures went everywhere. So kudos to them on your team for coming up with that idea, unless it was yours. And that was not mine, <laughs> but I love it. It was a great idea. But the problem is, and people say, we're going to go to independent journalism. What I've seen, because I've been doing this 11 months, my account didn't really start getting big until four or five months ago. I get those messages from unknown numbers where they say, hey, if you talk about this issue, we'll pay you this much money. I'm not a, I'm not a big program. If I'm, getting, if I'm getting that message, I can only imagine what the bigger accounts are getting. And if you have a 100-man team, it's really hard to say no to the money. You got bills to pay. Yeah. You got people to take care of. Then they almost become the same problem that we're fighting against. Definitely. How do you know who to trust? Well, there's a there's a downside to markets. You know, I'm pro market broadly speaking. I'm certainly not for government control of the economy at all, uh, obviously. But we should also be honest about the downsides. And one of the downsides is, you know, if you take money for something then you're subject to the influence of the person who gave you the money. And so I'll be completely honest with you. I've, I've watched this because I've worked for big media companies my whole life. I've watched this, sort of watched it. I was a little bit insulated from it. I didn't really see it that much. But I know that pharma companies advertise or the biggest advertiser on television not to sell their products, but to control the coverage of their products. You know, that's what that is. And, and I hate that and I think it's bad, but I haven't had to deal with it because I was never in contact with the ad department at the at the networks where I worked. So I'm now facing these questions and uh, you know we don't have any, we will have advertisers. We don't have any yet because, and we've had you know quite a few offers, but because I'm worried about promoting something that I don't believe in, I don't wanna do that you know, for moral reasons. And also because you wreck your business, like credibility is all you have. You have to be as honest as you can. So, and we have one company come and and I sort of broadly speaking agree with what they do, but you look at it and it's like, this is, they're ripping people off, like no thanks. So I do think subscriptions, hmm. you know, it's hard to sell subscriptions. It's hard to ask people for money. I'm terrible at it. I've never really done it in my life and I don't really want to do it, but I think that's probably a better model because you're not subject to ad boycotts. People are paying for a product that you're delivering. If they don't like it, they can unsubscribe, which is totally fair. And you're really insulated from the influence. I'm not, you know, I'm lucky because my kids are grown. I'm middle-aged. I, you know, I don't, you know, whatever. I live a simple life. I'm not desperate for money. So I don't really feel influenced by anybody other than the people I love and trust in my world and my own conscience. So I'm in a good place. But if you're 26 and trying to make it in this business, yeah, I mean, there are a lot of sharks out there. And you certainly see it in some of the foreign policy stories over the past few years where people take these positions that are inconsistent with the beliefs they've told you they they hold. And it's like, what is that? You know, and I don't know the answer, but something's going on there. There's influence being exerted on these people. It's super obvious to me and I don't respect it at all. And the second I see that I'm not watching you again, I don't trust you anymore. That's how I feel, you know? Because sometimes I get these messages and they'll say, can you talk about this issue? Make a short video and we'll pay you X amount of dollars. And it's not even an advertisement. Really? It's Yeah. It happens really? all the time. I get these messages all the time. I'll, I'll, I'll show them to you. Wow. And I've showed them on the stream and I talk about them and I show them when I stream because that way I know that the people watching can hold me accountable. If they ever see me talk yes. about what I 
got offered to talk that. about, they'll know I sold out. But sometimes I'll get that message and then I'll scroll through Instagram and TikTok and Twitter and look up that topic. And then you'll see all the conservative influencers that are talking about that same issue on that same day. And I'm like, shit, they took the money. Well, it's not worth it. I'll, I'll say that. And look, I, I, you know, I, there have been a couple of periods, one in particular in my life, where I just didn't have enough money to mm. keep the ship afloat. And I, I know how upsetting that is. And I would never judge anyone in debt, deep in debt as I was, who, you know, makes bad decisions under stress. Like, I get that. But in general, I can say from much experience on this topic, get, I've never been super rich, but I've definitely, you know, paid off my mortgage and all that. It, you know, accumulating money for its own sake is not as fun as people imagine that it is. It's actually not fun at all. It doesn't add anything to your life. If, if anything, you just worry more about money when you have more money than you need. And so I, people should be very careful, not just in the media business, but in all businesses, in imagining it's a good deal to sell their integrity for money. Again, I understand people who are desperate, you know, if you don't have enough to eat or whatever, I get it. And I'm not judging, but you know, if you sort of have enough and you decide, well, I just want more money and I'm going to do this thing that I think is wrong. uh, That is not a good decision. And you will, you will pay a price for that. I'm sorry. I'm not being judgmental, but that's just a fact. I've seen it a million times. Don't do that. And don't be around sleazy people. That does not make you happy. You know, fun, interesting people with weird personal lives, I'm all for it. I've spent a lot of time with people like that. But people who are trying to, who are lying for a living and trying to subvert you and, hey, do this and like run, don't walk. I mean, I just dealt with this yesterday. Someone came and had a great idea and, you know, I won't even bore you with the details or I can't reveal the details, but it's like, it was like, this is so cool and we should do this. And I said to someone who I work with, you know, who is this person exactly? And then I heard, I was like, no. I'm not, I don't want to be around anyone like that because who knows what the agenda is and who knows what's really going on. And that will end in tears. I know from experience, like just stay away from people like that, I think. So if we're in a day and age where, and we've talked about this a lot, it's a spiritual war, good versus evil. And the evil side seems to be filled with propaganda through, for a lack of the word, brainwashing, where people are just completely fall in to the narrative. They really believe what they believe. And I don't, and a lot of people who are awake don't think that there's ground for it. But if it's a war not between left and right, but of good versus evil, how do you convince people that are so fallen into the matrix? How do you wake them up? How do you relay that information? Because they're so deep into their own ideology, so deep into what they believe. How are you able to bring them over to the side and make them aware of what the realities of the world really are? Well, look, I'm saying this not as a theologian because I'm the opposite of a theologian. I've spent almost no time in my life studying theology and I'm not a reliable guide to theology. So with that caveat, I'm just an observer and I think I'm more reliable as that. And I see three hallmarks of evil, okay? The first and most distressing is deception. Lying is evil, evil is lying, okay? They're indistinguishable from each other. And so by definition, it's hard to fight because it doesn't fight under its own banner. It always comes at you in the guise of something else. And you've seen that just in our recent history with the 
you know, corporate Jim Crow system that we have now, which is transparently evil, but it sells itself as compassion and inclusion, right? Diversity, equity, and inclusion. Well, it's just racism. It's literally much bigger and more pernicious than Jim Crow ever was in the, in the South, but it doesn't, it's not straightforward enough for you to recognize what it is, okay? Or the COVID vax, take the vax because your grandmother's at risk. And so that preys upon people's best qualities, their compassion, et cetera, et cetera. It always comes at you in the guise of something else. So it's very tough. So how do you recognize it? Well, I've thought a lot about it. And the two ways that I recognize evil is first, it's destructive. It's, I mean, it's destructive. It doesn't build, it only tears down. It's not creative, it's destructive. And so just ask yourself, is whatever plan they're trying to sell you on the basis of these lies, is it making people happier, more independent? Is it creating things worth having? Or is it just tearing them down so we can build something new? No, tearing it down is the whole point. Evil destroys, right? And the second hallmark is its worship of death. So it's life versus death. Right? Good versus evil is life versus death, in my opinion. So if you find an ideology that's celebrating or abetting or encouraging death, whether, you know, fetishizing abortion, for example, you know, why, why would you think abortion's so great? Even if you support legal abortion, abortion's horrible. And everyone who's had an abortion can tell you that if they're being honest. So why would you think that's a good thing? Wars, a, a war of self-defense is justified. Sometimes they're necessary. But a voluntary war? Really? What's the point there? The point is to is death. You're worshiping death. Euthanasia, same thing. So I see Christian ministers saying we need to send more cluster bombs or whatever to this or that country. Cluster bombs, really. Is Jesus pretty pro-cluster bomb? Like, can you hear yourself? And but they're sincere people. They they really believe what they're saying. Um, but they're missing, like, you need always to take a step back, take a deep breath, and ask yourself, what are we looking at here? It may sound good, but is it building or destroying? Is it affirming life or death? And um, th that's what I do. So that's all I can do is to say that out loud, keep saying that out loud and trying to help people to discern between the sides. And maybe you're, you know, totally pro-evil. Okay, I believe in choice, but you should at least know. You should know what you're buying into. And I don't think people do. And maybe that's our job is to help them figure it out. I think most people are inherently good. I don't think they want to be evil. No one wakes up in the morning no, and goes, I want to no. do bad in the world. I want to go kill a bunch of people. I want to go to war. I want to shoot my gun at people. I don't think most people think that. Even soldiers don't think that. And no. the idea that, you know, that's what people think it is and we're divided the way we are. I don't know. I wish there was a better answer and a better solution for people to act right now. You know? Well, can, I, can, can I just say one thing, though? It's like what you said is so true so Stalin killed, however you measure it, the most or the second most of any person in history. He was in competition with Mao. But, you know, tens of millions of people he murdered. The Soviet Union falls 1991, and the Soviet archives fall open. And this amazing historian called Simon Sebag Montefiore gets access, he's a Russian speaker, to the, to the archives and gets all Stalin's personal memos. And he learns that Stalin, in the midst of murdering entire populations, was totally convinced that he was like a great guy, in fact, the only really good guy, and he was doing this for whatever contorted reason he had concocted in his mind. But the point is, he really believed it. Stalin didn't wake up every morning thinking, man, I just hate people, I wanna kill them. He really believed, in his heart, it was obvious from what he wrote at his desk, that he thought he was giving his own life for humanity. So people have the ability 
to convince themselves, and that's again the nature of evil, that something horrible is actually its opposite, something really good. So like, don't underestimate what mm. we're up against. The bad people think they're the best people. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. So you have this TCN building Tucker Carlson Network, which is amazing. I actually subscribed the very first day it launched because I thought it was cool. Thank you. And I don't think it's because people want extra content. I think it's because people want an opportunity to support you and support your mission. I don't even think if there was stuff behind the paywall, I don't think people would care. I think the only reason is because they want to support what you're doing. What is well, the thank you. I mean, I, I don't know if that's, I mean, I would have no way of knowing. I, How would I know? You know, I'm totally cut off. <laughs> I, I think <laughs> that's you. completely true. I think most people just want to feel like they're a part of a community. And I, that's what I feel the most in the last six months, eight months of what I've been doing is that people want community. People want to feel like they belong to something and people want different perspectives. So as you build out Tucker Carlson Network, what's the long-term plan? Of, is it right now? It's almost a repository of your content. Yeah. Is there a goal of building a large network, oh, of course. different shows? I mean, what, what are you thinking there? Yeah, I'm thinking of all of that stuff. And um, yeah, we have a, a lot of ideas. Um, so, but, you know, we're a week old. So the idea was to, to see, you know, we, we brought almost our whole staff from Fox. So a bunch of people, can we actually make this into what we envision it becoming, which is like a force in the news and commentary business with documentaries, you know, a bunch of different people. I mean, I can't, you know, any, any business or any movement built on one person is, you know, not enduring. And moreover, it's, it kind of violates my core belief on all of this, which is, it's not about the person. I mean, that was the case I made about Trump for no one listened, but for like seven years. Trump, I, I personally like Trump. I think he's hilarious and great and brave and a lot that I like about Trump, but it can't be about Trump. It's about mm -hmm. the man. Then, you know, it will die with him, like all movements based on men. It's got to be about something bigger. And so I did sort of feel like, I mean, if I'm being totally honest, the only reason we call it Tucker Carlson Network is because we couldn't, we couldn't find another name <laughs> that wasn't already, you know, uh, copywriter that could be challenged in court. So anyway, but the bottom line is, once everything stabilizes going into the new year and the primaries, yeah, um, I, I think it's working. I think there's a lot of support out there. Um, I didn't want to get over my skis and like, you know, do a bunch of stuff before we figured out whether it would work, but I think it will work. And so we're going to do a lot of stuff for sure. I think you have more support out there than you think. It kind of touched on it in the opening. You are the general of the movement and maybe you don't realize that. I don't think maybe you do, but no. there are the community of people that are taking your lead and I just wanted you. I just want you to know that. Well, I know that you. we're limited on time. I have one final question, if I can. Yes, of course. Of all the conspiracies out there in the world, all the conspiracy theories, and even if maybe it's one that's not provable, but something you think about, which one's your favorite rabbit hole to go down? Well, it's funny, you know. I, I. I'm embarrassed to say I sort of bought the conventional view of most things up until several years ago when the evidence just, you know, forced me um, to reassess because it was just so obvious that there was a lot of lying going on, a lot. And I have since become convinced, based on an overwhelming amount of evidence, that a lot of the biggest stories in 
certainly the last hundred years, maybe longer, um, have been really distorted. Like we don't actually know uh, what happened, but we know that people have been lying about it consistently, and then those lies solidify into history, and if they're not questioned by anybody. So, I mean, I could go down a long list. It's not just the Kennedy assassination or 9-11, both of which are, you know, clearly there's a lot going on there in both cases. Um, you know, I'm really bothered, honestly, by the attack on Pearl Harbor on mm. December 7th, 1941. I think it's really clear, uh, both common sense dictates, but also there was a Senate inquiry into it during the Second World War, which was kind of suppressed because the war was on. But the fact that the U.S. government knew or had... It, an understanding there was a very high likelihood that our Pacific fleet would be hit and thousands would die in Pearl Harbor, Japan. I mean, Pearl Harbor, Hawaii by Japan. Um, they allowed that. And then they allowed all the, you know, U S servicemen in the Philippines and Corregidor um, and Manila to be killed and captured, which they were. I mean, they actually Roosevelt and his war staff war planning staff allowed that to happen. I think it's clear. And that's a monstrous crime. You should never allow your countrymen to be killed. I just can't even imagine that. And I'm sure that Roosevelt, I have no doubt, told himself, you know, we're doing this for a higher good and they wanted to get involved in the war in Europe. They needed, it couldn't be a voluntary war. We had to be responding to an attack. And clearly they allowed that. And I don't, I can't imagine how Roosevelt lived with himself. He didn't live much longer actually. And I, and I'm, I just think it's a really big deal. If the U.S. government would do that, or a president would do that, like we need to rethink our relationship to the state, I, in my opinion. No one ever talks about that, but I think it's entirely real, and there's a lot of evidence that it is. So, yeah, I'm interested in that. And we understand that both sides are corrupt. We understand that there's corruption within the government. But what's the solution? You can't just burn it all down. Of course not, and you also need to be honest with yourself about the way people are. People are really flawed. There's never been a, a pure human institution because people aren't pure. Mm. And they're a mixture of good and bad and it's all sorts of roiling competing interests within everybody. Um, but I think that we should be honest about it because that's the only hope of improving it. You're never gonna get to perfect, you can get to better. I grew up in a better country than the one we have now. I'm not that old. I, mean, I graduated from high school in 1987 was a much better country in a lot of different ways than the one we're currently occupying. So we can get to better for sure. I also, if you, if you if seriously want to know a question that I have that I don't think has been fully answered, um, that I've never heard anybody else mention, hmm. but I really, I feel it strongly. It's like, where did nuclear technology come from? Hmm. And I, you know, the Manhattan Project and the Germans are working on all this stuff, but it's like, I don't know, at least to a non- specialist, which I am very much a non-specialist. I'm not a nuclear engineer, but I've never really seen that clearly explained. And I had a friend who once was just a journalist, but who was once working on this topic. And he said to me, who's going to write a book on it? And he said, I'm not sure what's going on there, but there was a lot of lying around that more than just the secrecy, of course, that shrouded the Manhattan Project because they didn't want the Japanese to know. But he said, it's more than that. And I don't really know. And so I've always sort of wondered, like, can it, are we sure we know where this came from? Because hmm. it was a history-changing technology that I think hurt, obviously, the Japanese quite a bit, but also hurt us and hurt the world. And, like, what is that? Are we positive we know? I don't think we are. No one else cares or is curious, but I am. And interesting enough, they don't want you to use that technology to generate power anymore. 
So why no. create it? Why use it? And then not let people use it? It's even weirder, you know? No, because only weapons are virtuous. I don't know if you know this. Man. Yeah. The cluster bombs are absolutely awesome, but your wood stove is a threat to the climate. It's totally fine to blow up the Nord Stream pipeline, the largest man-made emission of CO2 in human history because Russia, but it's totally bad for you to use a fireplace or drive an F-150. I just want you to know kind of the, the moral framework we're working within. Well, thank you for adding context to our lives. Thank you for coming <laughs> on to the show. Anything I can do. <laughs> Love to have you on again in the future. And, oh, man, uh, that was so fun. I appreciate it, Tucker. Thank you. And uh, TuckerCarlson.com, definitely go check it out. And um, we'll be right back. Thank you, Tucker. See you, man.